0: hey what's up everybody and uh welcome to the foreign and domestic podcast i'm jake
1: and i'm will and we're joined by a special guest today our friend keelan hi and we're going to do an episode sort of similar to the last one where we talk about kind of historical political uh foreign oddities that you know
0: intrigue just, just fun little stories
1: yeah um but before that um we haven't been talking a lot about coronavirus because
2: everyone else has been talking well, about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but a, a piece of important political news took place recently. Bernie Sanders dropped out of the race and I thought we'd just take a moment to discuss, you know, what re- went wrong in that campaign and why he did not have the success that mm. it, it at one point seemed he could have.
0: Yeah. Cause like before, before all of this stuff, um, we saw bernie was the front runner and biden was losing biden quite behind, bad yes. but now that's the complete opposite biden is now the no- basically going to be the nominee at this point and <sighs> bernie's gone so i think the turning
1: point you really saw was after nevada mm-hmm. um and directly prior to north carolina i mean that's when all the consolidation was about to happen and rather than like messaging to First of all, there's this really simple thing that Bernie Sanders could have done at the beginning of this primary to just make it easier for him, which is become a Democrat, which tends to help when you're running in the Democratic (laughs) primary. But he didn't do that. Um, And another thing he could have done at that turning point was message to, you know, people who were concerned that he's too radical or he's too this or he's too that. Mm Mm-hmm and say actually i'm not going to be all that different than a regular democratic president but like that's kind of off-brand for him so what he did was there's this tweet that's been much referenced where it it, he tweeted it right at that time and it was something along the lines of i'm paraphrasing but something along the lines of neither the republican establishment or the democratic establishment can stop us like well first of all they did
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, oh, cool. Of course, <laughs> like,
1: that's just not the. I, I think one of the main failings of the Sanders campaign was just their complete disdain for politics, in the
2: sense that so, it's, something so, that would have worked, like yeah, like you, in, you didn't follow the typical guidelines. Yeah, you can be a revolutionary, but you still gotta follow, you know, a little bit of a guidelines to how would, you get into that power. In
1: 2016, he was like the non, like, he was a, a protest candidate. He was not running because he thought he had a good shot to beat Hillary Clinton and become the Democratic nominee and then become president. He
0: like, was running he to get his ideas get out there.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, then... I think the reason his campaign failed is, like you said, he he kind of fell apart after Nevada and, and the Carolinas. But also, I think this coronavirus thing, and I'm going to. Slightly dip into that is he, it ran out of steam. He like his movement was on like kind of a grassroots movement based on like media attention, and when it switched from you know the the race to the coronavirus, he lost a lot of that steam, which at a crucial junction he needed. But well, it was just, it, it wasn't like the turning point; it was the final nail in the coffin, I think, for him.
1: Yeah, and I mean you're right because Joe Biden is seen as stability and you know expertise, whereas Bernie Sanders is not. But uh, what I was saying was that, like, he was running in 2020. Like, this year he was running because he had a good shot at being president and he wanted to be president. But he didn't run. Like, he didn't adjust how he ran. Like, he still acted as if he's a protest candidate. And that's why he couldn't grow his coalition. And that's why he lost. Like, it is something that's kind of emblematic of this is he his press secretary briefly before he dropped out his press secretary responded to a tweet of a senator that was saying like coronavirus treatment should be free saying well do you support medicare for all now and the senator or wait it wasn't his press secretary it was someone else that's Kind of uh, associated with the Sanders movement. It wasn't his press secretary, um, but then the senator was like, "I'm literally signed on to the Medicare for All bill." Yeah,
0: they were like, "I." I, I, I if, I'll pull up the tweet if I can, but it, it was it was like something like, um, "I literally sponsored it" or something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's not somebody who's directly part of the campaign, but. Also, like, the people... So, Faz Shakir is his campaign manager, and he's not, like, one of these sort of controversial leftist characters, but the rest of the campaign is. Mm -hmm. Like, the rest of the campaign is comprised of people like David Sirota and um, his press secretary's name is escaping me at the moment, Brianne Joy Gray. And they're just, like, picking fights. Like, she picked a fight with Ezra Klein, because Ezra Klein published a uh, an interview that he did with Elizabeth Warren. And she was like, well, why are you paying any attention to Bernie Sanders? He has plans for coronavirus, too. And he's just like, because Bernie Sanders hasn't agreed to come on my show. <laughs> like... <laughs> That's the problem, like they're they're declaring war on people who are like at least marginally ideological allies or like have some belief in the agenda that the Sanders campaign wanted to do, but they're so committed to it being this like movement, and it's like nobody's informed them that you cannot unless you're like the Republican party you can't govern with a minority of the population and they're Minority is incredibly like it, it, it's maybe 15% of the population that is like that far left.
2: I haven't known a very many, I don't know of very many revolutions or so called movements that have won that way where they haven't won over the sides of the current ruling or the, you know, the current ruling party or the establishment. That's not how you win politics. I, I'm just saying I agree with you that he failed to get it and historically it doesn't back up when you try to do that kind of grassroots mo- movement. One uh, another thing is like let's for a second
1: grant several of the premises that the Sanders camp was taking. So let's assume that Bernie Sanders somehow becomes incredibly popular nationally mm-hmm. and wins a landslide victory over Joe Biden in the primary, wins a victory over Trump in general, and then by some miracle, Democrats have 60 seats in the Senate and a majority in the House. Even then, there are enough Democrats that... There are, like, at least 30 Democrats who aren't willing to back this, like, paper left-wing agenda. So his whole... Movement was just based on this theory that, that his ideas are innately popular and people just don't know that they're in favor of them yet, which is a pretty flawed premise. <laughs> and I mean, you're pretty much destined to fail at one. But you guys have anything else you want to add?
0: Um, I you? think
2: I think you hit everything on the on you know the head of the nail. I think you're absolutely right on. Almost all points, so yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay, I'm going to start with
2: my um,
1: first sort of story. And it's kind of a... It's basically the story... It's a little bit long, but it's sort of the story of the weird things that happened to the Senate in 2009 when the Affordable Care Act was being you know, written and attempted to pass. So, first of all, like... There are a couple weird things like the the control of the Senate switched or not the control because Democrats initially when after the 2008 election had 60 votes in the Senate. But and I might have the chronological order of these events wrong, but first what happened is then Ted Kennedy passes away. In Massachusetts and the governor of Massachusetts at the time was a Republican so he appointed a Republican um, Scott Brown so then Democrats only had 59 votes which is a problem because they can't pass um, Obamacare the Affordable Care Act without a supermajority so but nonetheless um, Oh, wait, actually, he didn't appoint a Republican. Um, he There was a man who held the seat in the interim. It was Paul G. Kirk. Um, but quickly thereafter, there was a special election to fill the Senate seat. And Republican Scott Brown won that special election in an upset um, to Democrat Martha Coakley. And here's where it gets... <laughs> what can you do as a Democrat to lose a Senate race in Massachusetts? Well, for one, you could insult the Red Sox. oh
3: <laughs>
1: That's never good. So, she was criticized for leaving the state for a Washington fundraiser instead of campaigning, and she responded by saying, as opposed to standing outside Fenway Park in the cold, shaking hands, um, she also referred to Kurt Schilling, who I, I don't know who, how into baseball you guys are, but is like a future hall of famer and one, one of the greatest Red Sox pitchers uh, mm. of all time. It also has some political opinions that I very much disagree with, but <sighs> basically, so he was speaking out against her and he, and she referred to him as another Yankee fan. Oh, Ridiculous. No. <laughs> she was a Red Sox star. So she essentially. That happened. Um, she lost that seat. So then there's 59 votes. Now we come to Arlen Specter. The senator from Pennsylvania. Who was at the time a Republican. He however switched. Uh, parties to give Democrats the supermajority yet again. Um, and let me see. I don't recall. I have to check, but I'm pretty sure that Joe Lieberman, so Joe Lieberman, I believe voted for the Affordable Care Act eventually, but he was not, on board with a uh, public option. He basically nixed a public option, um, but he became an independent during that time. So it was like a very weird period in the Senate where a lot of wacky stuff went on. And then eventually the Affordable Care Act was passed. And one of the votes, so here's something you kind of need to know about the before times in American politics. <laughs> like
2: there used That's to be a lot of before times
1: well before like hyper polarization and there used to be a lot of politicians who like were not from states that in like presidential elections would vote for democrats but like were elected democratic senators you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah so one of those politicians that's that's what allowed democrats to get um 60 senate seats because there are a whole lot of senate seats in like for example for this example nebraska that were held by democrats um so one of those democrats was ben nelson and he being in a difficult state with re-election coming up he um it was a hard, it, it was difficult to get him to vote for the Affordable Care Act, so they offered him some incentive to do so. Um, and he was the 60th vote they had to get to end a filibuster and pass the Affordable Care Act, um, through the Senate. So what? democrats did was they added a provision to the bill that provided full and permanent federal reimbursement for the expenses that nebraska would incur in its mandated expansion of medicaid eligibility basically nebraska gets to expand medicaid for free mm. wow so this is called the corn husker kickback it's derided and stuff so but what's crazy i'm like you can have issues with that like on merit that like certain states shouldn't get special treatment or whatever but the crazy thing here is that and this is what really signaled the demise of this era in politics where you would have politicians who were democrats from red states but they you know worked hard to secure you know special treatment for their state and therefore were broadly popular in their state so He had been one of the, he he had had the highest approval rating in the Senate of 78% among Nebraskan voters prior to this, but then the Republican governor of Nebraska denounced um, the quote-unquote Cornhusker kickback and, you know, raised the issues that you would expect to be raised. But what's crazy is basically Nelson got his approval rating fell by almost forty points to a point where he would decided not to run for reelection. So like how crazy is that? That the voters who were securing special treatment are just so opposed to it that he becomes unpopular when he was incredibly popular prior.
0: Yeah. So, so they didn't
2: I, want that special treatment, so they kicked him out. Basically, man, that's give me like the worst like feeling in the world. I was like, I did this for you guys. Yeah. Wait, I'm getting kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> like it, 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 wow. It for him. But okay.
0: All right. Um. Well, I got I got a a short one, but it's uh, quite funny. This was this was actually uh, recent. Um. So we're all familiar with the. U.S. Department of Agriculture, correct?
2: Of course. The very great, minor one, yes. Great
0: organization. Um, so, uh, on their website, they it, they have a thing uh, with regarding like importations of agriculture and exportations, and so um, <clears throat> their website uh, on this section listed that the nation of Wakanda uh, had a free trade agreement with the United States. Now, if you're familiar with the Marvel Universe, Wakanda doesn't actually exist. Um, It is the nation that Black Panther uh, takes place in. Um, But uh, nevertheless, it was on the website, so there's that. Um, uh, The error, quote-unquote error, uh, was removed in mid-December of last year, um, and a spokesman for the USDA said that uh, the inclusion of Wakanda was, uh, quote, part of a test that they were running. How true what? that is is up for debate, but there you go. The The story of the Kingdom of Wakanda's uh, trade treaty with America. It's insane.
1: What are their primary exports? You know?
0: Uh, I mean, I've never seen the movie. Yeah, so. I haven't either, but...
2: Yeah. I, I have, and um, it, it's not agriculture. It's a rock. So, like, I guess the test would be how knowledgeable or how observant are the American citizens on? Can you notice a fake country in our country's list on our website? But yeah, I don't know. I, I think it was just some employee playing a prank, probably.
0: Likely. And
2: I, I really hope they didn't get caught because it'd be like one of the best go- I, I got you government pranks ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, so. <laughs> I have a story, and it's, um, it's 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 more of a funny one. It's uh, it's about Winston Churchill's "I Finally Got You," and it's it's not really politics, but you know, it, it's just a funny story, and, yeah. and it really shows Winston Churchill's sense of humor. So when he died, since he was such a monumental politician, he got a state funeral. So it was laid in Parliament for a couple of days, and then you know, interesting story. he Actually, went up the Thames and back down it, and all the cranes on the Thames lowered their crane and in solidarity but the, the real kicker is this usually they go from I think it's either um, the um, it's the station closest to uh, Parliament I think that's um, either Piccadilly or Jubilee but he had it specially routed to a different subway station to Waterloo station. And that's where all the you know important members of state, foreign and domestic would you know, since he's a military, hero, give him a salute. And Charles de Gaulle was there, and so you have Charles de Gaulle, a Frenchman, and and again I remember, I've seen the footage of this thing, and Charles de Gaulle's not a very good looking guy. So you know, any, any, any French people out there, I'm hoping I don't offend, you, I don't offend you, but you got to admit he's not a very good looking guy. So you see Charles de Gaulle in a, in a military suit, full military honors under a sign that says Waterloo, saluting a British Prime Minister as he passes through to his family graveyard plot. <laughs> and I find it funny that, you know, he's also short, too, like saluting a British Prime Minister, a French guy, and you see his face, he has a little bit of a snarl to it. And he's like... God damn Winston you finally got me. And it's hilarious. And like you know, I was in the Winston Churchill Museum and the caption was Winston Churchill's last joke. And it was
0: put the Frenchman under, like, the, under the Waterloo sign. Under the
2: Waterloo sign. The French's greatest
1: um, failure. Some listeners might not be totally up to date on World War 2 history, so explain the significance of Waterloo. Uh
2: Waterloo's actually Napoleonic War. Um, but Waterloo was—it um, was—we're um, gonna edit that out, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're gonna leave that in. No, we're uh, leaving that in. <laughs> okay. Um, was when Napoleon, after he came back from the island of Elba, rallied his troops, and he had his last battle was at the Battle of Waterloo, where he faced the Duke of Wellington, which is a British general, um, and he lost. And so now Waterloo, and I've actually been to Waterloo's, where there's the giant museum commemorating France's you know Napoleon's, which they kind of emulizes. They're like they're great liberator, they're great you know reliever at least from the times at that time, the civil war that was happening and the strife of the French Revolution. And it was French's greatest defeat. And especially now they've idealized him. It's kind of a, you know a little bit of a sensitive sensitive topic. And so, and the British are more like, like that.
1: All saluting.
2: So <laughs> under that and, and so that- now you have. Charles de Gaulle, as French people consider him the kind of the liberator or the kind of great fighter for France during World War II, saluting a British Prime Minister both under, you know, having a great general salute under a great failure of the French people, saluting a British Prime Minister. And, you know, that it was kind of like a, the, you know the great joke, the great insult to the French people by the British Prime Minister. And it's <laughs> hilarious. I actually have a a, a quick other Charles de Gaulle
1: story. It wasn't one of my prepared ones, but this is one of oh, sweet. my... Oh, no. So, LBJ, when he was president, Lyndon Baines Johnson, um, Charles de Gaulle demanded um, that American troops be removed from France. And LBJ just absolutely annihilated he mm-hmm. he asked whether the the graves of American soldiers that had died fighting to protect France would be coming back as well. And Charles de Gaulle just put down the phone and left because he was so embarrassed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 another thing on that wa- on Waterloo and really getting at the French is is Waterloo like the actual monument is only like a couple miles or. European terms, a couple of kilometers from the French border. <laughs> so, so like I, I think on a very good day, if you're like maybe coming from a plane or something on the French border, you could see the statue because that's a giant pillar uh, where they commemorate the day. So you can see the greatest failure from French soil, and you can and you can just see it and be like, man, I built this giant spire. Just despite us, and just to, like kind of, like snub the French in the Bel- and it's just in Belgium area. It's it's and it's just a giant field you, know, you can just see from the French border. It's like
3: it,
1: it looks like as last episode's uh, unfortunate victim of our
2: derision was Jimmy Carter. This episode Charles de Gaulle <laughs> It's Charles de Gaulle and the French people. Yes, so but I, I I just found it hilarious that you know both the British and like all of Europe. Is just like kind of spiting France, just be like, you lost, you lost twice in World War I, I mean, World War Two and the Napoleonic Wars. We're really going to snub you just <laughs> all the time. And I, I find it hilarious. So.
0: Fantastic. That's all right. Well, taking the attention away from the French, we're going to go to <laughs> the Philippines, where they have an equally uh, easy, easy to make fun of uh, president, uh, Rodrigo Duterte. So. Oh. He has been consistently bothered by wildlife while giving speeches. It's it's been a problem all through uh, out uh, 2019 and uh, likely will be this year. Um, so the most recent occurrence of such an instance happened in September of last year in 2019, uh, where Duterte was attempting to give a speech against uh, human rights groups who were critical of his brutal war on drugs in the country. If if you're not aware, um, Duterte has. Um, the policy of, yeah, let's just shoot all the drug dealers and call it a day. Um, And his government is alleged to uh, back death squads as well, so uh, that's uh, the type of person we're dealing with here. So, during this speech, uh, which was in front of a lot of military officers, um, he was interrupted by a gecko who kept making a lot of noise. And so Duterte, in the middle of the speech, turned and asked one of his officials um, or said to one of his officials, you brought a gecko in here. And, uh, everything that was happening kind of, uh, made the entire crowd, uh, start laughing. Uh, the crowd which was full of, uh, Philippine army soldiers. Um, but this isn't the first occurrence of that. Uh, previously, uh, Deterte had a cockroach crawling in his shirt during a speech in uh, May of 2019. <laughs> um, uh, the speech was, uh, Dis- designed to discredit an opposition party um, and when the cockroach was rem- removed he joked that he was a supporter of the opposition party So, um, but th- it doesn't end there uh, in oh, no. July uh, during a speech where he was going against the Catholic clergy another um, enemy of his um, a fly kept buzzing around his head and once again he joked that it was sent by the Catholics so...
1: <laughs> I mean he is in the Philippines though I mean there are there are bugs everywhere but especially in human environments indeed what's
2: like like what's the biggest mammal on like in, in the philippine islands like i, I kind of want to see like kind of like walk up to him like like snuggle like right next to him or something <laughs> or like 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 bring in a kangaroo and have him kick him in the eye or something you know kick him a little bit like you'd really, be, be a really good uh political stunt bring in a kangaroo <laughs> so he can kick you sent by the abolition of you know, He'll probably send through. one of
0: his death squads after you if you did that. <laughs> you no, know,
2: my theory is that these
1: animals were all sent by former President Barack Obama after <laughs> Duterte rather famously called him a son of a whore. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: likely, so, likely. I'm gonna I, I see Obama like saying like after like the uh, he signed the health care bill. Uh, these ghost advisor uh next time send a flyer or a cockroach in you know just to really get at him and just yeah occupies all of his time just trying to get back at this prime minister or president. Yeah, yeah I mean, that if Obama
1: was a vengeful person, maybe, but... Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so he isn't? My, <laughs> I, not that I'm... So, my, my next story is about one of the would-be challengers to former President Barack Obama in 2012. Interesting. Uh, former Texas Governor Rick Perry. Uh-huh. And you might recall that his most famous moment in that campaign was as part of a debate. He got all wound up and he, um, he was looking to build his conservative credentials and he pledged to eliminate three government agencies as part of his policy to cut federal spending. Uh. He named the department of education, he named Uh-oh. the department of commerce, <laughs> but then he couldn't remember the third agency. Oh no. He said and I quote, I can't. The third one, I can't. Sorry. Oops. <laughs> so this is this has been immortalized as Rick Perry's oops moment. Um which, you know, people people make mistakes, but this is this is rather funny if you're proposing a major policy platform. <laughs> now, the story does not end there. Uh oh. Perry um has had other jobs in his uh, he, he then ran for president in 2016.
2: Uh-huh. He
1: did not get all that far. Um, he, he was kind of he, he he early on he got a momentum. Time magazine said that everything is aligned for him to become the nominee. Um, but a lot of the oxygen of like the base that he was appeal- appealing to of sort of evangelical Southern voters was sucked up by Ted Cruz uh, in the primary, and you know it, it's typical for former presidential cabinet uh, candidates to hold um, cabinet positions in the their eventual party nominee's uh, administration. So on December 12th, 2016, it was announced that Rick Perry would serve in Donald Trump's cabinet. He would serve as Secretary of Energy. Uh-huh. The department that he forgot he wanted to eliminate. <laughs> oh. Oh my
0: god. Oh, beautiful.
1: So he he's no longer um he, he resigned in October of 2019. Uh but yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. How ironic. <laughs> all right. Um, I got another kind of short one, but uh, we're all aware of Siri on uh, your iPhone, if you have one, or if not, you're still probably aware yeah. of it. Well, Siri uh, is a supporter of Bolivian protests. So uh, back in November, obviously, uh, there's widespread po- protests against bolivian president uh, evo morales uh because he was accused of election fraud violating term limits and going against a public referendum telling him not to run again so um the protesters there uh referred to morales as a dictator because he was trying to keep on to power um europe whether you like him or not is up to you but Uh, siri certainly did not at the time so the spanish version of siri uh briefly also referred to him as a dictator so um when asked who the president of bolivia was at the time siri would state uh quote the dictator of bolivia is evo morales um after this issue was uh discovered uh quote issue apple shortly released an update and changed it um but still i mean
1: i don't disagree with siri
2: (laughs) Yo,
1: Alice, not a great guy.
2: <laughs> no, he's not. Speaking of, uh, by the way,
1: he, uh, he did quite a but Okay, so I, I want to go through the story of a political figure, uh, erstwhile politician, that I think is now just living his best life, and that is Joe Scarborough. All
0: right. So
1: you might know him as the co-host of Morning Joe on MSNBC. But he was, once upon a time, a congressman from Florida. He eventually resigned to spend some time with his family, um, and he got into news, and this led to him um, getting an, a news show on MSNBC, Morning Well, he also um, eventually you know developed a relationship with his co-host they both got divorced I believe and they um, in I believe not that long ago a couple years ago they got engaged and um, they had a sort of up-and-down relationship with Donald Trump throughout the past couple years um, during the primary, he would often call into their show, and they'd talk to him, and he'd say outrageous things. Um, and but now that Trump was elected, um, they were becoming increasingly anti-Trump. Um, and but they they were still sort of socially seeing Trump. Like I guess they were friends. They were down at Mar-a-Lago, and jared kushner trump's son-in-law and a top advisor offered to officiate their wedding he said hey you know what i've got my license i could marry you and then donald trump interjected why would you marry them they could have the president of the united states marry them (laughs) so they um they were not pleased with this they were like no way we're not gonna have you marry us so Um, Donald Trump was a little frustrated that he was being turned down for officiating their wedding, and he tweeted, I heard poorly rated Morning Joe speaks badly of me. I don't watch anymore. Then how come low IQ Crazy Micah, along with Psycho Joe, came to Mar-a-Lago three nights in a row around New Year's Eve and insisted on joining me, Trump tweeted. She was bleeding badly from a facelift. I said no.
0: (laughs) Oh my god.
1: Oh, well. So, <laughs> they they eventually had their wedding in the National Archives, um, and it was officiated by uh, a congressman who had been investigating Trump. Sadly, that congressman has since passed away, Elijah Cummings. Um, he officiated their wedding. Uh, but, on to more of how uh, Joe Scarborough is just living his best life. Um, he has released... Um, several albums through a band that he um, that he is the lead singer and a guitarist for I believe and keep in mind <laughs> this is like a 50 a something former congressman um, now a morning host on MSNBC and like a pretty important political figure
0: and now he's in a um, band
1: and it's just like <laughs> It's so great. It's some of the most enjoyable stuff. We'll, hopefully we'll insert uh, some of the music uh, here if we're able to. Um, so if we're able to uh, you'll hear Time Rolls On. Anybody
3: seen my old friend Bill? Long-headed
1: That you may have just listened to is Time Rolls On, and it is by the band that Scarborough is part of. And the name of that band, and keep in mind it was formed during the height of the Russia investigation, is. And this is 100% real. Oh, God. Independent Council of Funk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty.
1: Oh, boy. <laughs> so, yep, that's. And they're um on Spotify their uh I don't know their their image is a drawing of Robert Mueller with a thing over his face with the letters ICF for independent Council of funk <laughs> so that's I and I, I kid you not there were a couple of years ago like music's pretty it's uh, it's not bad uh-huh I had a phase a couple years ago, like a year or two ago, where I, I listened to it a deep. A, I just thought this is like the craziest thing ever.
2: And also, why not? It's not bad music.
0: Hey, there you go.
2: So, so I just remembered one. Uh, are you done? Sorry. Yeah. Right. I just remembered one off the top of my head. It was uh, under George H. Uh, Bush, the first one, the, mm-hmm. the one-termer, is Vice President Dan Quayle. And uh, he was visiting a, I believe, it was a preschool, and you know he was, wor- you know, working with the kids, you know, kind of doing that kind of public, you know, doing the public thing, right? Mm-hmm. And this one kid spelled potato, and he spelled it right, but Dan Quayle said, no, 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 it's it, it's uh it's uh O A not A O, <laughs> and th- this was public, you know, it was it was being recorded, and he got blasted by the news. You know, George H. Bush's, um, Vice President Dan Quayle spells potato wrong and tries to correct a kid over it. And, like, he got blasted because it, 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 have you ever heard of Dan Quayle after that? No. I mean, No. Because he, he, he quit because he me. couldn't spell potato. <laughs> <laughs> so. Wow. <laughs> I, 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 just, I just like that publicly, you know, it wasn't like, you know, it was off air or anything. It was on recording and I, I, I've never seen the recording, but I've seen, I've read stories about it. He spells potato wrong! And, like, it's just like, oh my god, dude, like, you're the vice president and you spell potato wrong and you try to correct the kid over it?
1: There there were some pretty silly scandals from the H.W. Bush administration up. Uh, two of my favorites are when it was leaked that the pre- that President George H.W. Bush did not like broccoli. <laughs> oh, and yes, that, I remember that, that one. I mean, try to keep in mind that this was the 1990s not 2016 where like that wouldn't even you know mm-hmm. but that was actually a scandal like that was the thing uh, it's, point, it's
0: like when bill clinton was running or i think it was bill clinton or it might yeah, have been kennedy I, I have no idea but someone was running and everyone was concerned because he was a catholic
2: oh yeah it, it yeah, was, Ken- kennedy. was kennedy yeah it was kennedy yeah yeah, that, that doesn't happen so much now, but back then there was a real concern that the Pope would be controlling the U.S. Yeah. Dude, like, so like Kent, because he was Catholic, and, like, I think after Kennedy, no one really cared, but also it's like, what, the Pope? Yeah, he doesn't do very much, so, like, it's not very big of a thing anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Uh,
1: another of my favorite H.W. Bush uh, scandals, if they could be called that, is um, when he was touring a grocery store, and... He was intrigued by this new technology he was being shown. Um, it was a new model, and he, was, you know, doing the president thing, being like nice and interested and whatnot. And he was like amazed by some of the newest technology. The problem was when that clip was showed; it sort of just looked like it was a regular scanner. So people are like, "Wait, he's a regular scanner?" By he this said? Scanner.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, a, like, a, like a barcode scanner. Okay.
1: Um, so he was like portrayed as out of touch and whatnot. I mean, that was just kind of a, a silly scandal. But, um, yeah.
0: All right. So, mm-hmm.
1: I, I've got a couple more.
0: Yeah, I've only got one more, so I guess we could okay, just. So you, uh, I'll do one, and then you then. do one, and then we'll just save the rest for later. Yeah. Alrighty. So for my last story. Uh, This is, uh, so uh, on on the last time we did this, um, there's a few uh, odysseys, uh, as we could call them. Now this, this one, is the odyssey of Bob Denard, a Frenchman, um, and his experience with the island nation of the Comoros. Alright, so Bob Denard was a French-born mercenary commander who was active across Africa, and, of course, he was mainly active in the Comoros, which is a group of islands off the coast of the continent. And so, Denard's first action on the island was a coup against the government in 1975. So, the incumbent president was Ahmed Abdallah, and he had just secured the country's independence on July 6, 1975. Less than a month later, on August 3rd, um, on orders from the French Minister for African Affairs, he ousted his government and replaced him with a guy called Ali Soyli but the he story ousted doesn't.
1: his own government?
0: He uh, he ousted the uh, government of Abdallah. Oh, the okay. the guy who declared the country's happened. independence like four weeks before he got overthrown. But the story doesn't okay. end there. In 1978, Denard comes back to the Comoros and then he takes out the guy he just put in power and then replaces him with the guy who he originally removed. <laughs> and so after this, uh, oh he became an important figure in Abdallah's government. Um, and so he became the um, head of the Presidential Guard and was just kind of enjoying his life over there. But in 1989, he allegedly launched another coup attempt against Abdallah once again, Um, and he was alleged to have ordered one of his men to try and kill Abdallah, um, after Abdallah attempted to remove him as the head of the Presidential Guard. The guy was successful, um, but Denard was tried for it and was acquitted on lack of evidence. The story does not end there, though, because Denard was not Uh finished. In 1995, he launched a fourth coup um, against Abdallah's successor. He was successful and set up a quote, provisional government, and he kind of, like, set up defenses around the island or whatever, but this time, uh, the French were not on his side. France invaded the island, and uh, he surrendered without firing a shot. Um, So that's uh, the end of his, uh, sort of, adventures in Comoros. He, He did a few other things, uh, afterwards but they it was usually just like getting arrested for allegations and that was sort of the rest of his life was just getting arrested Um, but in 2007 he ended up dying and throughout his extensive mercenary career uh, this is just like a random fact I found that was kind of funny he had converted uh, originally from Roman Catholicism to Judaism then from Judaism to Islam then back to Catholicism again so
2: this is a guy who wow. could not make up his mind. So, he... Why does that first part of the story sound like um how the Mongols like deposed like so the Mongols went to go depose someone like on the island Majapahit but mm. that ruler was already deposed and a new person was up but his son was still alive so the Mongols allied with the original ruler's son and they overthrew that government and he was in power. I'm like this reminds me exactly of how Majapahit started. I'm like, oh my god, that that's pretty
0: dumb. That's pretty I forgot insane. the Mongols tried to invade Java.
2: Yeah, they did. And like, so the original Javanese prince kicked off the Mongols. The Mongols went to go remove him, but he was already deposed by a, for, by a foreign king. So his, the original king's son allied with the Mongols and overthrew him. The Mongols were like, Well, we have royal captives, we overthrew a king, and we got a friendly king on our side. Job done, let's head out. (laughs) Run. And just left. I'm like, I guess it works.
0: Yeah, I guess uh, Denard just liked overthrowing governments, I guess.
2: Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Should have learned from the past, right? (laughs) Right. All All right, right. the final story. Okay, so my last
0: one is the honor
2: of Evan Mitchell.
1: Oh, another odyssey. I discovered, um, when I was, as one does, looking over the Wikipedia pages of politicians, and I, I noted that in one of John McCain's um, bids for re-election to his Senate seat in Arizona, he was challenged by a former governor of his party. Uh, the governor was running in the Senate race as an independent, but I was like, well, that's odd to have... Um, an incumbent senator be challenged by a former governor of the state from his party. Um, so, in the general election, no less. So I looked into the person who challenged him, Evan Meacham. And Meacham is quite a character. <laughs> he, um, for a long time, was just kind of a perennial candidate in Arizona, running for all sorts of... Um, and he ran for like state representative senate all all types of stuff um and then he um ran for governor four times um having no success except for in one race where he did secure the party's nomination but lost um then in his fifth time running for governor um he was, um, he, he won a plurality of the vote because his uh, opposition was split. There were two <laughs> Democrats in the general election um, because one of the Democrats who had lost in the Democratic primary ran as an independent. So um, he ran and somehow he won. So this was this crazy, and part of the reason he won was because a lot of people in Arizona were, like, retirees or not necessarily had been there for a long time, so they, they had no memory of him running, like, four other times <laughs> and him being kind of just a, a character. I mean, he was already widely derided before this. Mm-hmm. So his, his first major scandal during his governorship was um, cancelling a paid Martin Luther King Day holiday for state employees. Justifying Uh this, he said, King doesn't deserve a holiday. This was followed by him telling a group of black community leaders, you folks don't need a holiday. What you folks need are jobs.
0: Oh. Uh Uh-oh. So
1: then everybody starts boycotting Arizona governor is just crazy like stevie wonder uh the rap rap group public enemy were all like just it was it, it was crazy i public enemy released a song in regard to the cancellation titled by the time i get to arizona where they like fake assassinated him you too boycotted it uh, after several months of criticism he declared a non-paid holiday and That was sort of that. But afterwards, uh, there were several more sort of scandals that strained his uh, relationship with fellow Republicans in the state legislature because he repeatedly asserted he was under no obligation to cooperate with the legislature, that he was answerable only to the United States Constitution, which he believed had been divinely revealed, it has sent down from the heavens, I suppose. <laughs> and some of the things that the people that in the legislature, his fellow Republicans, were some of his appointments to key positions, submitted without consultation to legislative leaders. Examples include Alberto Rodriguez, his choice to head the Department of Liquor Licenses and Control, who was under investigation for murder. Oh. The director of the Department of Revenue, whose company um, owed twenty five thousand dollar missed employment compensations and last but certainly not least um the prisoner or the supervisor of prison construction who had served time for armed robbery oh oh actually there's one more uh, Uh-oh. The education advisor told the legislative committee. If a student doesn't want to say, or if a student wants to say the world is flat, the teacher doesn't have the right to prove them otherwise.
2: <laughs> why does this sound something that like having like, like, like just like a back roads town in Idaho? This sounds like, like a
0: bad comedy skit. I,
2: I, I and there's more. <laughs>
0: this, it, it I have even... heard
2: comedy skits that sound like this. <laughs> this is why it's so befuddling to me. Like, I, I think Loading what You Run is a comedy group in uh, Canada literally had a sketch where the guy was a flat earther and he got elected think he, he, he got elected to power and he elected all these whack jobs who believed in father regardless of his position uh, or their other experience. This is just <laughs> befuddles me. It's like, Oh my God. So what he, do you he find also, these guys?
1: He also became deeply unpopular through some other incidents. Um, Claiming, where he claimed that high divorce rates were caused by working women, oh. claimed that America is a Christian this... nation to a Jewish audience, oh. and said that a group of visiting Japanese businessmen got round-eyed after being told of the number of golf courses in Arizona.
0: Oh, my God. Yes. This isn't the 40s.
1: You Okay, this, <laughs> this thing's going to sound like it's from the 1840s this next Oh no. Oh, In no. response to claims that he was racist, Meacham said, "I've got black friends." That's the classic. <laughs> <laughs> "I employ black people. I don't employ them because they're black. I employ them and get ready for this because they are the best people who applied for the cotton picking job." <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> oh my god. I thought it was I thought it was going to be like, "Oh yeah, they're the best people for the job." But no, he goes right for it. No. Oh. Just-
2: I thought he would say be like the, like the like the cheapest laborer or something. Like that's like slightly it's, worse. It's it than, started off,
0: it started off it become it started off being good like you thought it was going to be oh I employed them because they're the best ones for the job but no nope. he uh, had to throw in cotton picking. Oh no. He wait, he wait, also wait, had wait, a, This is
2: Arizona. Can, wait, is can cotton grow in Arizona? I don't think so.
1: <laughs> I, I guess so. <laughs> so he also had a a difficult relationship with the press um, mainly because not uh, very few if any I'm not quite sure but m- the majority of the major newspapers in the state endorsed one of his opponents uh-huh. so he had deteriorating relationships to the pre- with the press to the extent that he had John Colby a political columnist for the Phoenix Gazette and the brother of a Republican congressman from the state he had him declared a non-person, which I, I don't know what the, I mean. I I think the effect you just don't exist. You, you just don't exist if you're <laughs> a person The effect of that was he could no longer come to pressbury things. But like, how do you how do you declare someone a non-person?
0: Uh, no. Okay, you're so non-person. here's the Wikipedia definition of non-person. Oh, a non-person no. is a citizen or member of a group who lacks, loses, or is forcibly denied social or legal status, especially basic human rights, or who effectively ceases to have a record of their existence within a society. What the hell? Well, this is just like
2: 1984. Like, nope, <laughs> nope, no, bye, you're just gone. <laughs> you like you don't exist. in 1984, though. <laughs> and then it gets...
1: So, another incident occurred during a televised event in which questioned the governor's integrity. And he replied, and I quote, Don't you ever ask
2: me for a true statement again. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Welcome to America's Funniest Home Videos. Oh,
1: so, man. Oh, my God. This guy was also
2: super paranoid. He,
1: he thought people were eavesdropping on him. He thought all this stuff was happening. Um, All the while, his craziness was causing the state to be, like,
2: to go into the tank. Um, Isn't there, like, a protocol to remove governors or something? A what? Isn't like, a protocol to remove, like, insane governors or something? We'll get to that. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh.
1: So, one of the cancellations was an NBA association convention in Phoenix. In response to the cancellation, Meacham was quoted as saying, "Well, the NBA—I guess they forgot how many white people they get coming to watch them play." <laughs> oh. So, this was so bad for the state that um, everybody just um, decided that it was best to be rid of. Um, like that's like the same option. Yeah. Yeah. So like. And, and keep in mind, this is six months into his governorship when, like, he's done all six this months? crazy stuff. So to the point that finally his um, political allies are, like, his nominal political allies, because none of them liked him, but they were the same party, began to just be like, okay, we're done. So legislator, um, legislature members um met to discuss the uh governor's image problems and then several months later major politicians from the republican party started calling for his resignation led by u.s senator barry goldwater so like big stuff and that was followed by congressman john kyle who would later be a longtime senator from arizona and also john mccain Mm. So, meanwhile, the people were taking this into their own hands, launching a recall election. So, and they gathered so many signatures in support of a recall election that eventually they had more signatures calling for a recall election than he had received votes electing him <laughs> to <laughs> the
0: governor. Oh, boy. Oh, my God.
1: And in his response to this, so the recall committee was led by Ed Buck, who was a registered Republican and businessman who happened to be gay. So Meacham, you know, had had some comments on this. He claimed the recall supporters were a band of homosexuals and dissident Democrats. (laughs) And his people printed bumper stickers that read, Queer Ed Buck's Recall
2: so <laughs>
1: i i mean i don't i don't even know oh, what that is
2: <laughs> uh, well so
1: they got a, a, a political heavyweight a republican to run against him in the uh recall election but all the while then it comes out that in in addition to be incredibly stupid incredibly racist he was also corrupt oh so basically oh, they were of course two, know, icing on the like cake kind of garden variety um Failed reporting, use of public funds, just... He he had loaned $80,000 in public funds to his auto dealership that he owned. So, just, like, Mm. terrible stuff. Um, Typical one of the milk corruption. So, (laughs) he was quickly impeached, and um, after that, there was no need for the recall election, so they canceled it. But this is the first governor first Arizona governor. I, I'm not sure if there were any others, but I, I can't imagine there had been many. He was the first actually he was the first US governor to simultaneously face removal from office through impeachment, a scheduled recall election, and a felony indictment
0: uh. So
1: they oh boy <laughs> And it was not until after all of this after all that happened that he decided that it would be a great idea after he somehow avoided uh, conviction for these, um, for the crimes that he had committed. It was after all that, that he decided to run against incumbent and incredibly popular
2: Senator John McCain. (laughs) This guy has like one, like I'm an idiot. Bingo. like, (laughs) This guy has hit all the points. Like, give this guy a medal and move on. <laughs> so
0: I, I'm that, corrupt.
2: Woo!
1: That that's, that I, I thought that would be a good note to end on. That In was
2: journey of Evan Meacham. That was now, fantastic. Meacham, I, here, but <laughs> that's like I'm a stupid politician's grocery list. Like, he hit all the points. He was. It's it's just crazy.
0: That's I, that's oh, what happens yes. when you uh, run. Uh, as a politician uh, just thinking in your head uh, you know what would uh, be cool if i did this how
2: racist can i be <laughs> how racist can i be when i become governor he,
0: he just did the he just uh, pulled just was like you know what screw it I let's mean, try this imagine,
2: like, like he i get like a magic hat full of ideas it's like ooh, racist corrupt Ooh, what's I the next like one order of the order. way yeah
1: so I click on his name because I was just like, that's a little odd. And I'm like a quarter of a way of the way through the article um, when I decide, okay, this is definitely gonna be one of the things I talk about on the podcast. And then there's just more and more and more and more and it just keeps coming. And I'm like, oh my god, like did nobody ever tell him to stop? <laughs> like, just cut your losses just get
2: out of there you're not cut out for this like just i wonder if he found employment ever again
1: i mean he he sort of did i he he was a delegate to the 1988 um republican national convention which i mean that's not a huge role put him there but like and in 1992 he received one nomination vote for President of the United States at the constitution party national convention ooh, uh, constitution so party he,
0: ooh, he ooh, later became
1: hitter. um involved with some far right groups and that at at that point he was pretty old uh he wrote a book about um you know basically defending himself and stuff um eventually sadly he you know his health deteriorated um and he he
2: passed away in 2000 uh in so mm. well but him versus obama let's see who won <laughs> yeah <I> mean, <laughs> obama please take the seat to just go just, no, just please not this one Anyone but him her, but... oh well anyway so
1: i i believe that's it and i'll, I'll try and get the song in there but mm. um if, if it's the song that I promised is not in there. Just go on Spotify or on YouTube and look up independent council of funk time rolls on and, and, and you will be delighted by the, the glory of Joe Scarp playing guitar and singing. So that's it uh, for today's episode of foreign and domestic. Thank you to Keelan for joining us. Uh, well, this very fun. Um, happy and... to be on.
0: I think that's it. All right. Very cool. We'll see you guys in the next one. Bye.